Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of your, the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blesses the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. We're several weeks into the book of Exodus now, deep in the wilderness, weary of wandering, yearning for security and order. The word Exodus, which comes from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, conjures up leaving. In fact, we lift up this book as an example of liberation. But the Hebrew title for this book is Shemot, which means names as in something that you give and receive to mark a relationship with God, with each other, even with a sacred place or an object. In fact, we learn several names for the divine reality in this book. God, we learn, is the great I am, the always becoming. She is El Shaddai, God Almighty, as strong as a mountain or a mother. Yahweh causes all to be as the creator and the source of being. 
These are just some of the titles that we give to the great mystery of love that simultaneously saves us and frees us from the bondage that human beings place on ourselves and on others. Exodus is as much about identity as it is about liberation. In the story today, God calls Moses by name and invites him up to Mount Sinai to speak together. We've reached the part of the story where freedom is defined not solely by what the people of God are escaping, but by how they belong. Freedom cannot rest on its laurels as something achieved in the past, but must be a reality that is lived together in the present and the future. On Mount Sinai, God and Moses speak honestly about the struggles that the people have to believe and to live in God's image. On the mountain, God claims these poor struggling souls as God's own. Up until this point, God blessed certain patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But on that mountain seat in the wilderness, God makes a covenant not with one man and his offspring, but with a community of many. Exodus turns at this point. Freedom comes less from liberation from oppression, relief from hunger, or resolution from quarrel and doubt. Instead, freedom is found in relationship, through the assurance of eternal love and through the articulation of moral laws. As they learn to be a people, the Israelites must learn to be free, not by running from a them, but by learning to be in us. We see in today's passage how freedom matures through a sense of belonging and a moral code. Each in their own way remind us that we are significant. When we feel we belong, we can trace our existence to a history and a force greater than our present struggle. And when we articulate our values, we see our role in the well-being of our community and in future generations. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me, God says. Now before we get into thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, God wants us to remember, above all else, who God is and who we are as beloved and free. Biblical scholar Terry Fretheim describes how giving the people the Ten Commandments in the middle of the wilderness is not a decree to establish certainty that the will of God can be known for every aspect of life, but instead it is a compass for wandering in the wilderness. Wilderness is full of contingencies. It's a sea of complexity and moral trailblazing. It needs a relationship. It needs loving guidance. Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann calls the commandments not a list of moral imperatives, but a description of how God shall be practiced by a community of formerly enslaved, presently lost, and progressively liberated people. Essentially, God is saying, I'm God. You're my people. I'm with you. Now act like you're with me and each other too. Traditionally, the commandments are depicted in two tablets. The first tablet consists of God's covenantal love for us. The second tablet shows us how to love each other with a similar honor. 
theologian Wendy Farley, compares the first tablet to love letters, opening up the untamable mystery that is God's love for us and exposing our misunderstanding, mistrust, and misuse of divine love. These laws establish that God's love is liberating. It cannot be contained nor bound by human limits, and it should not be justified. It should not be used to justify our blasphemies and our abuses. The first three commandments describe the breadth, depth, and liberating power of God. It lets us know that love will not allow us to fail beyond redemption or die of depletion. And it is from this assurance of infinite love that we are given the second tablet, which attempts to shine divine love through us onto others. Brueggemann describes the adoration that undergirds the second tablet. Human life in all its ambiguity and inscrutability is endlessly precious and must not be violated. The second tablet is an articulation of a still more excellent way. It is a way in which human life is intrinsically worthy of respect, in which human persons are honored ends rather than abused means, and in which rapacious desire is properly curbed for the sake of viable community. Sounds pretty inspiring, right? Who wouldn't want to be treated this way or believe that they treat others so well? Honor your mother and father. Do not take the life of another. Do not betray sacred vows. Do not steal. Do not lie or accuse falsely. Do not desire what belongs to someone else. Now, before you go prematurely checking off the boxes on your virtual homework assignments there, remember two things. First, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus raises the bar on many of these, suggesting that if you even harbor thoughts about breaking these, you have dishonored God and your neighbor. Second, remember that these commandments were given to the plural you. Okay, technically the masculine plural, but anyway. So even if your personal conscience feels pretty smug right now, we as a nation might be complicit in allowing a culture where our elders are marginalized, where black and brown bodies are murdered at an alarming rate, where covenants are not kept, where white collar stealing is par for the course, where lying is debating, where society's false witness is imprinted on the color of your skin, where our economy feeds off of desiring what others have and constant messaging that you are always less than until you have more than you do. When I read the second tablet on its own, the commandments seem impossible. The insidiousness of our sin feels insurmountable. Let's be honest. Under the quarantine, where nuclear families spend 24-7 under one roof, and extended families are estranged by the risk of infection, and older generations are isolated in assisted living units miles away, even the one that begins the second tablet seems rather tame 
compared to the rest, even that one feels hopeless. In my own home, the goal of raising happy, competent, compassionate children feels more difficult than honor your mother and father. This is where I take a step back and ask, how does God do it? The first rule on the second tablet, honor your parents, parallels the first on the first tablet. I am the Lord your God who loves you and wants you to be free. Do not dishonor this. Honor cannot be taught through a flawless chart of daily checklists or a punitive system of because I said so's. That commandment, like so many others, doesn't start from a place of reward and punishment, but from a strong sense of identity. Healthy relationships start with a strong sense of self and a respect for the other. Faith is such a relationship. Now, several years ago, our first parenting class studied the book, The Secrets of Happy Families by Bruce Feiler. In it, Feiler delves into current research on what makes families effective, resilient, and happy. He suggests starting with a strong family narrative. Now, researchers at Duke found that children who know a lot about their families tend to do better when they face challenges. Children were asked a series of questions about their family history from where their grandparents grew up to what was the story of their own birth. The more children knew, the higher sense of control and self-esteem the kids displayed. Identity led to honor and honor to freedom and freedom to love. As a community of faith, we have more than a set of commandments. We have examples that we set and stories to tell. These stories continue far beyond Exodus and the biblical canon. You have read some of these stories with our volunteers in our various newsletters. Some awkward but inspiring anecdotes are being shared by confirmation mentors on Thursdays and Sundays. You will read some new stories in the coming weeks about the people that you have elected to serve as elders to lead this congregation. We share stories with families when a loved one dies and we tell them at the services that we hold to celebrate their lives. When a long-term and beloved and faithful member died earlier this month, one of our elders said she wished his stewardship talks had been recorded. They were full of candor and humor, humility and grace. They always made me cry, she said. The people of Israel lived under oppression in Egypt. They lived through struggle and strife in the wilderness. They have been slaves and they had been migrants. On Mount Sinai, God was reminding them of their primary identity. They were the people of God. To remind them of this, God declared the infinite love that God has for us and gave the commandments as a compass to navigate the way as a community oriented towards compassion. When we know the love of God, 
and we know ourselves to be the people of God. We know freedom is not just a promise. It is who we were meant to be together. Thanks be to God. Amen.